This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship, and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au. I love the east coast of Tasmania, and I thought I'd share a bit about my love for this place. Uh, we head to a beautiful place by the sea called Piccaninny or Piccaninny Point and we head there twice a year for our family retreat. It's a bit of a ritual, it's a bit of a habit. And as soon as I, you know, I, I get there and we unpack the car, the fresh air hits me and the smells and the sounds of nature and I'm just like, oh, all the stress just leaves me and it's just beautiful. And uh, at Piccaninny Point, there's just a beautiful beach and some amazing red rocks, these kind of beautiful red lichen-covered rocks, a bit like you see in the Bay of Fires. And, yeah, and I often see animals in the beach. We've seen whales. Uh, we've seen injured penguins that we've kind of helped out. I remember walking once along the rocks, praying and daydreaming, as I often do, and, uh, and then suddenly there was this... And I turned around to this... Uh, kind of a sea lion there and just about bit me. It was, it was just terrifying, woke me up. But um, this is kind of the place, you know, how rugged this place is. It's just beautiful. Anyway, I, I remember a moment about six years ago and I was walking along the rocks and something happened to me. There was a moment in time that was really significant and it changed my life and it changed, actually it impacted the tra- trajectory of, of our church community as well. So I thought I'd share that time. So I was struggling at the time, it was about six years ago, and I was struggling in a whole lot of ways. Life was tough, life was stressful for our family, but also for our church community. And I had three young kids, so I was sleep deprived, and that never helps. Uh, Three kids is tough. And I had two demanding jobs, so I was starting up a business, but at the same time, I had just uh, taken on the role to lead this little missional community of people called uh, Third Place Communities, which is the precursor to who we became in Together Church. And look, TPC, as we called it, was in a hard place at the time. We were pretty small, we'd had lots of struggles, lots of challenges, and uh, we had wonderful people and great community, but I really sensed as I took on this role that things needed to change, and God was putting within me this, I don't know, fire in my belly, as uh, Jeremiah says, this holy discontent that, that we needed to, to, to become a slightly different people and to lean into God in a new way. And a number of us in our community had been struggling personally with our own faith and had lost a passion for Jesus. And like, the book, uh, like in the book of Revelations, the church in Ephesus that John writes about, uh, we had forsaken our first love and we were a great community, but we had lost our love and our passion for Jesus and our ability to worship him. And we were becoming a non-profit organisation rather than a faith community. And so as a result of this, I shared the vision that I had with leadership and as I took on the role, I said, I really feel called to return us to our first love and to put Jesus at the centre of who we are again. And, And they were supportive of that. But as I started to lead out this vision over time, there was a lot of resistance and things got really tough for me and for us as a community. And particularly it started when I began teaching that 
uh, that we can hear God speak to us and that we can listen to his voice and follow what he says. And that really confronted people in a way that surprised me because I, instead of speaking about God as if he was a, a cultural or a, maybe a sociological reality, I, I, I was talking about God as if Jesus had risen from the dead, as if he was alive and spoke to us and engaged with our lives in the everyday. And, uh, and I got heaps and heaps of resistance. So a number of our leaders left uh, our community over that year and a number of my closest friends said that they were really angry with us and they were threatening to leave as well. And so I was just in a whole lot of pain and struggle personally, wondering, gosh, what have I done? <laughs> am, I, am I turning this com community inside out for the wrong reasons? Am I listening to God? Uh, am I just stuffing things up? So I had a whole lot of self-doubt and struggle. And so as I walked, just meandered along the rocks of Piccaninny Point, uh, just thinking and praying and saying to God, God, like, what are you saying? And, and have I got this wrong? And do I need to change how I'm leading? And do I need to go back on the thing you've put into my heart? And, and, uh, or do I just need to step out altogether? Uh, there was this real wrestle in my soul as I walked along the rocks, asking these questions. And, and suddenly as I walked and prayed, I was like, whoop, I stepped on this this enormous rock. It was like a boulder and it tipped. And as it tipped, it almost tipped me over. <laughs> and I kind of stumbled. Uh, lucky I had good shoes on and I kind of recalibrated myself. And then I went to walk on. I'm like, that's so strange. I turned around. And, and it's interesting because at the time I'd been reading and, and praying and thinking about the idea that God whispers to us that God speaks to us in whispers and that he sometimes disrupts us and, and, and gains our attention through small everyday things that don't seem very religious. And so I just, I really felt, I think the Spirit of God stopped me in my tracks and, and said to me, okay, turn around because this is one of those moments. And so I, I turned around and I looked at this boulder and, and I stood on it and it was just remarkable. It was like, I don't know, two metres wide. It was so heavy that four or five people, there's no way we could lift it up and move it, okay? And, and yet, if I found the right spot, I could just lean one way and the whole boulder would tip and I lean the other way and the whole boulder would tip. And I just spent about 10 minutes seesawing back and forth on this little rock in the middle of, uh, near the ocean, uh, in Piccaninny Point, just wondering what on earth God is saying to me. Uh, and he did speak to me. He spoke to me really clearly. You know, not an audible voice, but I'm like a voice that came from God that was beyond myself. And it was beautiful. And, and he said this. He said that the culture of third place, the, the culture of TPC is like this rock. It's impossible to move uh, in human strength. And yet, uh, anything is possible with me. And I really felt God say that it only takes a small lean, a small shift in, in the direction of, of this people, this people of mine, God's people, and, uh, and the whole thing will, will tip over. And the culture and the, the feel that, that you are praying for, that I've put inside of your heart, the, the fire in your belly, that, that's from me. And that will happen in my strength. So don't turn back. Keep leaning into the things I've called you to lean into. And in, in the right timing, you'll experience worship. So that was really powerful for me because... Uh, it, it put a conviction in me that, that actually this wasn't my own strength. And I had a lot to learn and I had to change the way I led and I had to be more patient. And So I'm not saying everything I did was from God, but, but the direction that God had given me was from him. And I felt very convicted that actually God is building his church and God is going to tip our culture towards him. 
Uh, and, and it was pivotal, so I, I leant further in rather than further away into the idea that God speaks to us today and he has risen from the dead. Uh, and things didn't get easier, actually things got a lot worse. For at least 18 months, things got a lot worse. People left, uh, we had lots of disagreement, lots of challenges, uh, and you know, leading with Ant and Ames and Kai and others, we, we, um, we continued to pursue what God had put on our hearts. Uh, but there was a moment in time, and I remember it, something happened, then boom, I was like, oh, we're worshipping. We have now put Jesus back at the centre of our community, uh, which is what he put in our hearts when we first started. And it was beautiful. And, and over time, it led to us moving towards becoming a church. Uh, so look, that's a story of a moment where God spoke to me in the everyday. But I believe that God speaks to all of us today in the most surprising and remarkable ways often in small and insignificant moments. And those moments, if we listen, if we hear and follow what the Spirit of God is saying to us, they can transform the trajectory of our lives as individuals and, and as a community, and I believe even our state and our nation. That's what I want to talk about today. So this is part of a series called A Life Well Lived. And it's a series about life and discipleship, and how to live well in the way of Jesus. And uh, the passage that I've been exploring is from the Gospel of John, where Jesus gives us this beautiful promise, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. And I've been describing that the way to abundant life as apprentices of Jesus is to become more like him, to imitate his ways, his words and his works. And as we embody his practices, as we become more like him, then we experience a life well lived that is different than we could ever imagine otherwise. And his promise comes true uh, and this is what we've been exploring. And the key concept that I've been exploring and talking about is this idea of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And this word is mathetes in Greek, and we unpacked it in great detail last fortnight. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be someone who orientates not just their head towards him, but their life in imitation. And we talked about a number of practices. We've been exploring a number of practices or principles that lead you to become more like Jesus. Uh, the first one in the series is to die to self that Jesus called us to take up our cross and follow him, to empty ourselves in order to find ourselves, to, to not put our trust in ourselves, but to put our trust in the one who can help us live well. And so the first principle of becoming a disciple and living a life well lived is to die to self. Uh, the second principle, which I went into detail last fortnight, is to learn through imitation, not just information, that as apprentices of Jesus, we copy and mimic who Christ is, and as we do that, we become more like him. And I, I talked about that, uh, that apprenticeship is caught, not taught. Remember that? Yeah. And I also gave a triangle that we talked about. You need to begin with information, then move to in, uh, imitation before we can get to uh, innovation. And in other words, it's not just about what we learn in our head, it's about how we imitate Christ uh, imitate Christ as imitate me as I imitate Christ, and then we can move to becoming the people we are called to be. So today I want to continue, and this is the third principle of discipleship that I want to share, which is to hear and follow God's voice. And like a sheep follows the voice of a shepherd, 
or as a child, hopefully, follows the voice of a parent, uh, we are called to hear and follow the voice of Christ and to become like him through a process of hearing and following. And to do this, I want to talk about something called the learning circle, which is a practical framework that we've found incredibly helpful uh, across our journey so far as a community where we learn to hear what God is saying and put what he says into practice through a process of hearing and following, hearing and following. I'll describe this practically and help you work out how might you apply this in your own life. So that's what we're going to do. Does that sound okay? Okay. Uh, so let's begin with Scripture. This is from the book of Matthew, one of the Gospels, one of the four accounts of Jesus. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's at the end of a, a sermon, a bunch of teachings that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's one of the broadest and deepest collections of teachings that we see recorded from Jesus. They're all put together in a row. And, uh, and there's this beautiful kind of storyline story that happens about what it means to follow Jesus as an apprentice. And right near the end, almost like a bookend, he gives this parable, this story, this analogy. So let me read. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, it's a beautiful story. Uh, we, we teach it to our kids in Sunday school, don't we? You know, you've got the man with the house on the rock, and then you've got the person with the house on, on the sand, and uh, if, you, if you're a good person and you follow Jesus and believe in him, then, you know, everything's fine, but if not, you know, whoa, <laughs> You know, and, and so follow Jesus. It's kind of the message we give our kids in Sunday school. It's a really simple message, right? And, and it's not wrong. Uh, it's not wrong, but I think that Jesus says something deeper than this in this teaching. In fact, I think he says something that is deeply profound and deeply challenging to the Western mindset. The mindset that is shaped, as I talked about last week, by a Greco-Roman worldview of what it means to be a learner, which is very much based on what you talk about, what you hear in your mind, and what you read, as opposed to what you do and embody in your very existence, in your life. Okay? Uh, I think this passage is absolutely central and very, very important. So what is the difference between uh, the man, the person who put their house on rock versus the one who put their house on sand? It's not a trick question. What is the, per what is the difference? The rock represents Christ, yep. What do we see in the scripture? Uh, pick me, pick me, yes. They heard the word and they put it into practice. Yes, I agree that Jesus is the rock. In, I want to focus on this. They heard the word and they put it into practice. Now, this word practice is central to this story, okay? Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock yada 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 all the stuff happens and the house stands but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand and when everything happens, the storms of life, the wind and the rain come, it falls down with a great crash. And so really this parable is not about people who hear the message of Jesus. It's not about people who hear and understand or even believe the message of Jesus and those who don't. I think this is where we get this wrong. It's not about people who believe and people who don't. It is about people who hear and talk versus people who hear and practice. And that's really important. Do you follow? Yeah. It's really important and it speaks something into the way we do Christendom and the way we do church. That we are to be people who not only hear and believe in our mind but hear and live his words out in our life. And the thing is, the man who built his house on the sand, he heard the words of Jesus just as much as the one who built his house on rock. Can you see that in the, in the passage? They both heard the word. In fact, Jesus is speaking this to a bunch of crowds and those crowds ended up crucifying him. So they heard his words and they said he spoke with authority, but somehow it didn't translate into practice. And, uh, you know, we are the people, we, they're the people, I would say, who uh, debated his ideas and talked about his concepts. They did Bible studies, they listened to podcasts, they went to church services, they talked about all the different ways in which you could interpret his sermon, but they just didn't act on it. They didn't embody it. Okay, so the practice part is central. Uh, so the wise person is the person who hears and puts it into practice, who shifts their habits, who shifts their behaviours, who shifts their, um, who, who applies his principles and takes on his spiritual disciplines so that they become like their rabbi, which we talked about last fortnight. They imitate him as apprentices, not just head learners of Jesus. And that is what it means to be a learner, a mathetes, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Same concept, yeah? Okay, so uh, interestingly, who experiences storms in this? The person who has their house on sand or on rock? Both. The wind comes, the rain comes, they both experience storms, trials and difficulties. So being in a follower of Jesus is not something that prevents you from storms and challenges and pain and struggle but the difference is when you embody Jesus' teachings into your lifestyle and take on his habits, you are transformed. There is a foundation which allows you to stand firm. Can you see? It's pretty powerful, this scripture. Now, I found this beautiful image when I was looking up House on Rock. This is real. How cool is this? This house is in Serbia. And this house is more than 50 years old uh, and it sits on the Drina River. It has survived rain, it has survived wind and floods for half a century. I just think it's cool. So the story is interesting. It was built in 1968 by a bunch of swimmers, uh, Serbian young swimmers, and they used to swim around and they used to laze around on the rock and they wanted a comfortable place to rest. So they put planks down on the rock so they could kind of chill out and sunbake. Sounds really great. But eventually, after a while, they thought, hey... Let's not make these just planks, let's build a house, as you do. And so they built this little cottage and it got better and better and, uh, and eventually it became a one-bedroom hut. And look, this house, it's, with, it's withstood snow and storms in, in the Serbian winter. Uh, it's become part of the local legend and life of the community that do their you know, events and celebrations around this beautiful little house in the Drina River. Uh, and, and not only that, it's actually literally survived floods and storms. So, yeah, I'd love you to play this quick clip. Wow. 
What a cool analogy is that, hey? They did have to fix the roof. Uh, <laughs> so, I think that's a beautiful example. There's a house built on rock that actually survives the wind, the rain, the ice and the storms. If you put my words into practice, Jesus says, then you will be like this house that can battle through anything if you hear and practice what I say as apprentices and therefore you live a life well lived. So Mike Breen says this. He says, A disciple is defined by hearing God's word and by putting it into practice. There it is again. So look, pause for a minute. I like to uh, allow us to just think and reflect uh, as we go along. Are you like a house on rock or a house on sand? Is there anything that stands out to you personally? Just reflect in silence. Okay, put my words into practice. So practice, I would like to say, is very simple as a concept and I think this parable, is, this story is beautiful but practice is really actually quite tough, isn't it? Like it's easy to talk, it's easy to learn, it's, it's actually hard to apply stuff, especially the teachings of Jesus. But it makes sense, okay? If you think about this in any other area of life, exploration or learning, we have to practice if we want to apply what we learn. So, you know, I love this picture. I found it last time. <laughs> if you want to sing like Taylor Swift, you've got to do your hours, right? You've got to practice. Um, you can't, you know, and, and it's, if, if you want to learn to play like this amazing group of people, you do have to practice. That's why I can't play guitar like Michael, because I haven't put in my hours. Uh, if you want to run a marathon, you have to put on your running shoes. You've got to get up at six in the morning or whenever you can and do the, do the kilometres. There is no other way to train your body to do it except for that, right? Am I right? Okay. Uh, if you want to become a professional, gain a, gain a job, you know, become a teacher, a social worker, engineer, biologist, you know, almost any profession, you need to do the practice. You need to learn the knowledge, but then you also have to practice the application of those skills over time. Otherwise, you cannot become the thing that you want to become. If you want to learn to cook, a great meal for a family, you need to dice and cut and saute and, and practice what it means. None of us actually are born amazing chefs. And if you want to learn to drive, I love this picture, <laughs> these guys look really, really happy, you've got to put the hours in if you want to learn to drive. I mean, in every area of our life, we, <laughs> the dad looks just as weird, doesn't he? <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm I think I'd just be scared. But in every area of life, you need to practice. Parenting's the same. You know, it might be forced practice. You know, maybe you ha you're sleep-deprived. I practice being sleep-deprived. I practice changing nappies and picking stuff up constantly. I practice saying, turn off your lights, you know, and, and saying the little things that your parents said to you that you said you'd never say to your kids. But you practice that stuff, don't you, in order to become a parent, and you get better at it. So why would it be any different to become an apprentice of Jesus? We want to mimic the creator of the universe who showed us how to live a sinless life. Of course, it's going to take time and energy and effort to pray like Jesus, to learn scripture like him, to love sacrificially, to heal miraculously, to prophesy, to fast, to give generously. It requires consistent practice. I mean, it's a pretty simple idea, right? But it's tough. And the interesting thing about the Sermon on the Mount 
is the passage we looked at is at the end of this amazing sermon which just throws out these incredible challenges for what it looks like to live a life or live, for what it looks like to look and act like Jesus. And they're really tough commands. Jesus says this, okay, in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he says, if you want to be the wise person, you practice what I say. How hard is this? Love your enemies. Pray for those who harm us. Give generously and sacrificially. Pray constantly. Fast in secret. Do not judge others or you will be judged. Don't store up your treasure, your wealth on earth. Uh, Store it up in heaven. Avoid looking at women with lust in your eyes. Avoid saying you fool or having anger in your heart because it's like murder. Do not worry, uh, but trust in my provision. Enter via the narrow gate. Ask, seek and knock. So basically be hungry for the kingdom of God. Produce good fruit, keeping with the kingdom of God. Like These are easy concepts, but pretty tough to apply in your life. Just, just start with number one, love your enemies. There are a lot of people who piss me off. It's really hard to pray for them and then to allow God to change my heart so that I can actually love them. Do you follow? And that's just one of his commands. So the point is that if we are to be apprentices of Jesus, we just have to put in the practice. And over time, he changes our hearts and our actions and we start to live more like him. So G.K. Chesterton, I really like this quote that he once shared. It's pretty common, but Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. It's true, isn't it? It's just really tough to be a Christian. And so practicing the way of Jesus is hard and painful, but we can do it as we seek to follow him. Now, I just want to share one more concept before I get practical. And that is the practice of obedience. So I've called this the practice of hearing and following God. But actually, obedience is probably a better word, even though it is a very unsexy word in our culture. Uh, The word obedience is very un-Australian, isn't it? (laughs) You don't hear it very much for good reason. And it's un-Australian because we don't obey anyone. You know, we are our own authority. We are independent automatons. You know, we we follow our heart uh, and, and obedience is... I don't know, it's also authoritarian and institutional and, and old-fashioned. And uh, I think I like what, I like what uh, Will said. We just, we just have to be our best selves and ramp it up to 110% and everything will be fine. But it's, it just doesn't work that way. So, uh, so what, now, firstly, I'm not talking about obeying me. Okay? I'm talking about obeying the one who created us. You know, Jesus, who knows us, who loves us, is far wiser than I am. So that's an important thing, firstly. We're talking about hearing and obeying the one who gave us life. Uh, and as we do that, it's actually liberating and joyful as opposed to constraining and painful. Dallas Willard uh, says this. Now, we read this last fortnight, the Great Commission, so I won't go into it in detail, but he talks about rather than the Great Commission, which is the mission of God that he sent us out into the world with, He talks about the great omission, the bit that we just miss out in the West because it's uncomfortable. In fact, it's interesting, I was speaking to a Christian recently and and they said, oh, everyone knows the Great Commission and they said it, but they missed the bit that said, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I've heard that a few times. We actually don't even know that part of the Great Commission. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go make apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And we just don't like this part in the Western church, which is why we have our house on sand. I also like this quote. There's a guy called Wolfgang Simpson who does church planting in the East. And he was asked once, why do church, why are the churches in China and India and the Middle East, why are they exploding with like exponential growth? And they are. Like the church in China is just, it's exploding in terms of growth. And yet in the West, why in America and England and Europe and Australia are other churches kind of going down the opposite way? And he said this, in the East, we learn fast, unconditional obedience to Jesus. In the West, you have long, slow discussions. <laughs> I just, I love people from the East and how simple their explanations are, but <laughs> it says it all, doesn't it? We do a lot of long, slow discussions, which is like the person who built his house on sand. So look, all I want to say is obedience is not a popular message, but I didn't feel I could leave it as hear and follow, because actually really following is important and we are called to follow Jesus but actually we're called to obey his commands. We have a new king. He has purchased us with his life. But it's an obedience that leads to life, not an obedience that leads to death. And uh, if that was all too serious, I'll finish with a quote uh, from a band called Jars of Clay, which I quite like. And uh, this song starts with this, I never minded calling you a king if it meant that I could count on you to give me everything. Which I reckon is a great line. You know, and it rhymes, of course, it's a, it's a song. Uh, I never minded making you a king if it meant that I could count on you to give me everything. So what, it's a different way of looking at the world than the Western narrative, isn't it? That, that we give our life to, to God, uh, we die to self and put our trust in him, but he is the maker of heaven and earth and he gives us all of his resources, his love, his compassion, his kindness, his wealth, uh, his peace, his joy, his justice, as we respond in that way. So hopefully it's not, obedience is not meant to be constraining and oppressive, it is actually life-giving, but it's a different way to experience a life well-lived than the Western narrative. So that's our third practice, to hear and to follow by practicing his teachings and obeying his commandments. Pretty simple? Yeah? Okay. So just pause for a minute before I go into the Kairos circle. Would you call someone a king if you could count on them to give you everything? Okay. I love this tool. How do we listen to God's voice practically? And this comes from Mike Breen, who's, been, who's mentored me, uh, who teaches us how to apply Jesus' teachings in our own life in a practical way. And I've found this tool to be one of the most helpful, life-giving, valuable tools as an apprentice of Jesus. And it's called the Learning Circle. Okay, who here has used the Learning Circle? I know that a few of us have, but yeah, a few of us. Has it been useful? <laughs> please say yes otherwise everyone's just going to tune out good good I'll pay you later all right uh, it has been useful uh, so look let's dive into a quick bit of scripture so at the beginning of Mark's gospel the first account of Jesus ever uh, written Jesus goes into the desert he uh, he is tempted by the evil one and he comes out and he begins his public ministry with this very very important verse Jesus went into Galilee which is the north part of Israel and he starts his 
ministry and he proclaims the good news by saying this the time has come the kingdom of god is near repent and believe the good news the time has come the kingdom of god is near repent and believe the good news now what does this mean because it means everything to do with practicing and becoming like jesus okay so to understand this and i don't we don't need to know greek i certainly don't know greek but this is one of those occasions where there is value in knowing the Greek word for time because we don't have an equivalent word or meaning in English. So the Greeks used two, well really three, but predominantly two different words for time. They used the word chronos and they used the word kairos. Okay? So chronos time is tick-tock time. It's the moments, that, it's the ticking of time, the, the minutes, the hours, the seconds, yada, yada. It's what you're looking at right now because I'm going over time. All right? And, and our life could look quite linear and we measure hours and paychecks according to chronos time, which is obviously the Greek uh, root for chronological. Okay? But that is not the word used in this passage. When Jesus says the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, he uses this word, chronos. Uh, Kairos, sorry. And Kairos, I tricked you. Uh, Kairos, just testing, you see. Um, He uses this word Kairos. And Kairos is a a significant moment in time, a a moment that has uh, faith or godly significance. It's the type of moment when you're walking along in Piccaninny Point and you stumble on a rock that tips. And the interesting thing is we measure our lives not by chronological time. When we look back at our lives and talk about our life, We don't measure everything chronologically, we actually talk about moments, significant moments in time which transformed us, which meant something to us, which actually gave our life purpose and value and meaning. Do you follow? Yeah, and this is the idea of kairos. We don't really have an equivalent term in English. Now, a kairos can be large, a large event, something really significant, or it can be small, like I'm walking along and I tip on a piece of rock. Right? It can be large or small, it can be uh, positive or it can be negative. So a kairos can be something wonderful, it can be something terrible. But it's anything that captures our attention and causes us to realize that God's kingdom is here and now. So the time has come, the kairos has come, the kingdom of God, so heaven has come to earth. The kingdom of God is close to us in these kairos moments. And we are called in these kairos moments to do two things. What are they? Two Repent, yes, which is listening. Repent and believe the good news. So what does it mean to realize that God's kingdom is here in a kairos moment and for us to repent and believe the good news? And that's what I want to talk about with this. So firstly, though, a kairos is, uh, it can be anything, okay? It's, I would say a kairos is the first day of high school for all those young people who just started recently. Uh, a kairos is the first time we fell off our bike and broke our wrist. A kairos is uh, when we walk down the aisle and we say, I do, a kairos is when we almost crash our car because we're texting and we realize actually it is quite dangerous. <laughs> Not that it's ever happened to me. Uh, it did happen to me. It's a kairos when we go to Disneyland. It's a kairos when we get gastro and we feel terrible. Do you follow? Like, it can be anything. It's the moments of significance that shape our life. And, uh, and they lead to spiritual awakening. And if we pay attention to those moments and allow God to help us to repent and believe, then rather than sleepwalk through life like so many of us do, we can become spiritually awakened and become like Jesus. 
which is what we're talking about in this series. So the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. So as we pay attention, uh, we hear and we obey, we practice what God is saying to us through these kairoses and our life changes. So let me give you a diagram and we call this the learning circle from Mike Breen. And it's a way of just visually memorizing the teaching of Jesus. So here we are, we have chronological time, we're ticking along, okay? And this is what that arrow is. And then all of a sudden, boom, we have a kairos. Something small, something big, something good and bad, but, but something captures our attention. And we think, we, could, we have a choice at this moment. Okay? We can stop and pay attention and seek to work out what God is saying and what we'll do about it. Or we can just keep on by and say life ain't spiritual and just treat it like a, a road you know, speed hump, and just bump our way through life until we crash, which is what most of us do in the secular world. Okay, so a kairos comes, and we have an option to do two things, to repent and to believe. Now, the interesting thing is the word repent, again in Greek, is metanoia. Okay, meta, big, noia, mind. Okay, so when we think of repent, what do we think of? We think, actually, you've been swearing too much. You need to stop swearing and repent of your sin You know, it's always about bad behavior and changing bad behavior, but actually that's not really the term. The term metanoia means to change one's mind. So God provides a revelation to us. It's an internal process that actually transforms us because of God's revelation. Uh, Does that make sense? It's actually quite a different idea. So to repent is to shift our thinking, to flip, to turn 180 degrees, yes, but to change it up here. Uh, and to ask what might God be saying to me through this Kairos moment. And then the second part, believe, we often think that belief is internal. We get all the way wrong. So the word belief is pistoa, and belief is more like leaning on a rock in the direction of faith because of your change in mindset. Okay, It's an action. It's about actually leaning into an action, a change in behavior because of the Kairos and the change of your mindset. Uh, it's very closely linked to the word pistis, which is faith, and we are to have surety of, in our faith. Faith is like an action that is completely sure of... Uh, it's a sure action based on what God has said to us. Okay? But either way, as we hear this chorus, we, we change our mind and then we change our behavior as a practice. Now, look, I won't spend much time on this, but what we teach in huddles or in our discipleship training groups is we teach people to go through a process to help us work out how to repent, how to believe. So we start by working out the, the, the first part of the circle is what is God saying to me? I observe what happened. I was walking along, I tipped on a rock. Pretty simple, okay? I reflect. Uh, why did this happen? What does it mean to me? Okay, well, God is getting my attention. I'm in pain. I'm struggling. He's given me a vision. I think he might be causing me to lean in one direction. Uh, And then we discuss it. Okay, we always discern what God is saying with the Word of God, the Bible in one hand, and community in the other. We are seeking to hear from others who follow Jesus to hear if our interpretation needs shaping and shifting. Uh, And then we move into the second part, which is to believe, which is to create a plan. What will I do in response to what God is saying? Uh, To have accountability. Again, that's community. Who can I tell? And then obviously you act. You change your behavior. And as you do this, as you hear, as you obey, as as you hear what God is saying, as you follow, this beautiful thing happens. Rather than continuing along life the way you were, your chronological life changes and you shoot off into a slightly different direction. Because God's kingdom has come. And you've repented and you've believed the good news and so your life changes 
you change the trajectory of your life because God's kingdom has transformed your heart. You become like the man or the woman who puts their house on rock, who hears and obeys, and it's the obeying that shoots you off into a different life, a life well lived, because you become more like Christ, a little Christ one, a Christian. Make sense? It's a simple teaching, but it's so, so helpful. So look, I just, I just want to uh, play a quick video which is very similar to what I've said, but I, I think it's helpful. And then I'm going to finish by, by encouraging you to look for your own Kairos moments this week. And I want to show you how to do it. Okay? So let's play this video if we can, please, Oliver. Time. The unstoppable force that pushes life along, whether we like it or not. It's something we try to hold tightly, and all it ever seems to do is slip through our fingers. Time is a roaring river that secretly sweeps us all along. There are instants, however, where we need to grab onto a branch and climb out of the river to see where we are along the ride. If time is our most valuable commodity, it is our responsibility to understand it and work within its parameters. In Greek, one of the words for time is chronos, referring to the time that we experience chronologically, a start to finish linear experience. Another Greek word for time is kairos, an event or an opportunity of significance. Kairos time is not measured in seconds, minutes, or hours. It is time marked by moments significant events where our lives change or at least have an opportunity to do so. We have witnessed Kairos moments as a people, as a nation, and we face Kairos moments as individuals. They can be positive or negative, moments of great triumph or moments of great loss. Many times these moments are unmissable. Other times they sneak by, camouflaged amidst the mundane. We believe that God uses these moments to teach us something. So, what do we do when we catch ourselves in the midst of what might be a Kairos moment? How do we ensure that we don't miss this opportunity to learn, to change, and to grow? Any process of change starts with observation. Look at the entire moment and how it has impacted you. Of course, it's not enough to simply note that something significant has happened. We must then reflect on the different pieces of the event and look into the emotions that it conjures up. It's time to bring the internal conversation to the outside world. Good decisions are seldom made in complete isolation. Who are some wise and trusted voices you can invite into this process? Who can you discuss this with? Who loves you enough to hurt your feelings when necessary? People that know you and know God can offer valuable insight. This is the point when you transition from analyzation to action. Often this can be the point where we get stuck. We love talking about things that are going on in our lives, but rarely actually take the necessary steps to do anything about them. God is challenging you to do something, to change the trajectory of your life. And before you act, you need a plan of action. Mine out what the invitation toward action is and figure out how you're going to take a step forward. What would it take for you to succeed? 
Identify those who can hold you accountable to take the necessary steps and invite them into the process. Finally, it's time to act. Follow through with the plan that you felt God calling you toward from the Kairos moment. We can meander through life, experiencing it as it comes our way, or we can carefully watch for what God is doing around us and live intentionally and fully. God is the designer of life and defender of our joy. He has hope for us. He wants to see us reclaim and restore our life on this earth. Our challenge is to actively and intentionally search for the fingerprints that God leaves on our everyday lives. It's a nice little video, isn't it? Okay. So just to finish, um, I would love to invite you this week to join me as a community of apprentices, people who are seeking to hear and follow God, to look for the Kairos moments. It's really simple. I don't usually give instructions, but I'd really like to invite you to do this this week. And uh, how do you find a Kairos moment? There are some ways I would recommend. Okay, firstly, look in God's Word. Okay, so the Scriptures are where we hear God speak. It's why we call the Scriptures God's Word. Okay, there's a library of Scriptures written by many people over thousands of years that talk about one message and point to Jesus. And as we read God's Word, it's not just uh, a written Word, it becomes a living Word. Okay, and as, as I read the Scriptures, I say, God, what is one thing you want to speak to me about? And a word comes out, or an idea, or a passage, uh, or a line, and I write them down, and I'm like, that could be my Kairos moment. Do you follow? And God could be speaking to me in that moment. So what does it mean and how might I live differently to obey the word that I read? Okay? If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles at the back. I'd love you to collect one. Uh, and, and look, if you don't know where to start, if you're not currently reading Scripture regularly, feel free to pull out the book of Matthew, which is the first, well, you'll find it at the beginning of the New Testament. And read the, first, read, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I needed to write down where it was. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Just read these three chapters. 5, 6, 7, and he gives you a whole lot of instructions uh, about how you could live life. And just look for a Kairos moment in that. I reckon you'll find something. Do you follow? But make sure you read the Scriptures because as we read the Scriptures regularly, we hear God's Word, but we also hear God's Word in other areas of life. I can't explain it. There's something supernatural about it. When we read the Word of God regularly, He speaks to us in all of our life. It's remarkable and it's worth doing. So that's one way in which you can hear God speak. Uh, another one, crazy image, uh, through dreams and prophecies. I haven't had a dream quite like this, but I have had some pretty crazy dreams. Uh, so in dreams and prophetic words, you know, pay attention to your dreams. God can speak through dreams. He does in the scriptures to lots of people. Uh, I have some amazing stories where God has given me uh, a tr uh, again, a kairos and a change of my life because of dreams that he's given me or dreams he's given me for other people that I had no awareness of about what was happening in their life and when I shared the dream it changed their trajectory because God was speaking to me. Prophetic words, words of knowledge, be open to the things of God and to the supernatural. Uh, that is a whole sermon itself on prophecy and dreams but if you're someone who has a dream, write it down and ask God, is there anything here that you want to speak to me about this week? Is that Okay. All right. Uh, another one is everyday life. You know, just God speaks to us in all of life. 
He doesn't just call us to enter these holy places and say you only find them in these places. He is part of our life. The risen one is interested in our work, in our children. In, he, he speaks to us at the beach, doesn't he? It's, it's amazing. You can find God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God comes in lots of different places and speaks to us if we have eyes that are open. And if you look at... Uh, if you look at the scriptures, God speaks to his people through a whole lot of things, everyday experiences, conversations, uh, I don't, maybe not beer, but certainly wine. He speaks a lot about, uh, to people through wine in, in both the Old and New Testament. So God speaks through anything, okay? But we just need to have one ear open to God as we walk through life and expect that the risen God will speak to us. And when we experience a kairos, we stop and we reflect. It's so exciting when God speaks to you in the everyday. Yeah? I just, very briefly, I was, um, last week I was in Melbourne and I had to travel from Sunshine to Dandenong's and then to Geelong to train at all these different places in my business. And it was, I was really freaked out because I'm terrible at directions. Like I get lost in Hobart driving home. And so I'm meant to use Siri somehow to find my way in a hire car, which also freaks me out because I drive like a 1990 car and I've got this, and they gave me a, like they upgraded me to like a Mitsubishi uh, Pajero, which is like this enormous car that I couldn't park anywhere in town with. So I'm freaking out driving this expensive car and it had this kind of key where you put it in like the car, and there's, I'm like, how do you turn the car on? And it's like a button, you know, I hardly ever drive those cars. You press the button and it goes, and I had to actually ask someone to help me work out where the handbrake was because it was a button. I'm like, who uses a button? Anyway, so I finally, I get to Sunshine. I get there like an hour before I find a park. I'm thinking, oh, thank God. Step one, I at least made it to my first training session. That's a good start. And I was thinking, oh, I'm feeling good now. This is going to be a great trip. Get out the car, I went out the back to open up and get all, you know, all my training gear. I've got everything in bags and stuff. And when I went to open the door, the, the, the boot was locked. I'm like, oh, that's annoying. Okay. Uh, and then I needed to get around to the other side where my bag was. So I went around to the, the passenger side. I'm like, oh, that's locked too. I'm like, where's the key? And I felt my pocket and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> where are the keys? <laughs> like, I didn't have my phone. And like, I'm just panicking inside. I'm like, I can't train. They paid me in advance. I've got three training sessions. I'm like way away from the city where I hide this thing. I was just totally freaking out and sweating on the inside going, God, what am I going to do? I've locked myself in the car. <laughs> and the keys are in the car. Anyway, I, was, I pulled on the door. Anyway, the alarm went up. It was just terrible. And then, um, and then finally, finally I went over and I, I kind of said a prayer and I opened and I pulled the driver's door and the door was open so obviously in this Pajero it locks everything except for the driver's door when the keys are in the car and I was like oh my god <laughs> and uh, but that was a kairos for me and it was so funny I kind of stopped and thought as I was walking down uh, back down to the training I'm like god what is that about and and I felt he just he just filled me with the most incredible joy and it was like grace once again and I'm like God gives us life for free and I don't deserve any of it and he just lavishes his goodness on us and I just was on cloud nine for the next two days remembering that God's grace is in our life from something as simple as that because I'm alert and awake to what God is saying to me day by day do you follow it's beautiful I love being a follower of Jesus <laughs> all right uh, last one is church community these are thin places. I don't promo coming to church much, but increasingly in our culture, 
people who come to church are faithful and committed and turning up is, a, is an act of faith nowadays and coming regularly to these spaces where God uh, is thin. He's out there in the marketplace, but he's also here and somehow we hear God's voice clearly as we worship, as we pray, as we share communion. Come to these spaces, come to Little Church, come to our missional community events. They transform our lives Uh, the book of Hebrews says don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching so as you turn up as you read scripture as you listen to dreams and as you pay attention throughout all of life for the Kairos moments you experience this spiritual awakening where God speaks to you the living risen God and he changes your life and that is the walk of the apprentice of Jesus as we hear and obey God's word how cool is that? Yeah? All right, so to finish, uh, this is all I'm saying. The third principle of discipleship is to hear and follow the Word of God. We listen to His voice and we follow what He says. Very simple. Very simple. Uh, It begins by putting His words into practice, not just in our mind but in our actions, so we are like the person whose house is on the rock. We look for kairos moments in our everyday lives where the kingdom of God draws near to us and we do so by paying attention, changing our mind and changing our actions in response to Jesus. And the best place to start is through the the living word of God but pay attention in a whole lot of areas of life. So will you look for Kairos moments with me this week? Yeah? That's the challenge. I would love, my prayer is that you will all See and act on one Kairos moment this week where God's Spirit transforms you. I have, uh, I've put here a bunch of cards and they're called Kairos cards and they will walk you through the process. When you see that Kairos moment through Scripture or through life, follow this and uh, it will guide you and help you work out who to talk to and what to do about it. Okay, so hopefully that will guide you. If you want to... Uh, pay attention to the Kairos moments this week. I encourage you to come and take a card, but don't take one if, you, if you're not committing to it. Okay? Don't do it just because everyone else is. Um, if you feel, like, you may not feel this is for you, but if you feel that God is saying to you, actually, I, I want to hear his voice this week, then take a card. Fill it in and, and talk to others about what God is saying to you. All right. So look, let's stand and, and we'll stand and just as we have communion, we always do this. I, I love you to have your hands open if you feel comfortable, just in a posture of listening. And, uh, and I just want to pray for us. Just as, uh, yeah, we have some music. <sighs> Jesus, I thank you that you are risen. I thank you that you whisper beautiful things into our lives and that you awaken our spirits so that we will not sleepwalk through life as if you are not real. I pray, Jesus, that you will open our eyes and help us to pay attention to your whispers, to your nudging, to the beautiful times when you walk alongside of us and shake us to say, hey, I'm here and I love you and I'm guiding your life. Holy Spirit, we we make a space now in silence to listen to what you are saying to our souls. And we honour you and invite you to speak.